Serious preaching. Yeah, Philippians chapter 3. Um, and let's look at this t- together. I want to read this scripture. And this month we've been talking about um, healing, but from the perspective of healing that happens on the inside. And because we all know that... Um, does everybody have Philippians chapter 3? We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. When, um, when we talk about healing, uh, we live in such a self-medicated culture, don't we? We live in a culture where everybody has, everybody's their own doctor in a lot of ways, and they're, and they're really um, diagnosing their own problems according to Google or whatever, and they are self-medicating. And uh, we live in a society that really has an aversion to pain, don't we? We have a lot of... Um, pain medication um, we have a pill for everything any ailments and every time you turn on your TV and you listen to the commercials you're going to find out about a new pharmaceutical drug that will probably clash with your other medications and could have devastating effects and um, we live in a society that's very aware of suffering and we really do our best to alleviate that sense of suffering and yet we live in a world that there is evil that cannot be controlled by people. It's funny when, I, when we look at politicians and we look to them, we say, hey, can you sell, solve the, 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 um, the age-old question of, of evil in, in society and can you bring us to a place of utopia? And they can't do that. And we live in a society where suffering happens, hard times happen, tragic, catastrophic things happen in a moment. I was just reading this afternoon about a, a guy who wrote a book. I'm reading this book called a, a, Disguised, a Grace Disguised. And it's just about a, a family that suffered so much. And uh, in just five minutes, half of his family was wiped out. And he talks about walking through that. And so we are always grappling with how do I as a person, maybe I have not suffered um, physical ailments or some of these big bad things that happen to people but maybe I'm suffering because I don't have somebody in my life maybe there's a there's a place in my life that I would really like to have full maybe I'm a parent that would love to have a spouse that would be present for the kids uh, where we struggle with these things and we're always dealing with this stuff as so we've been talking about inner healing what I'd like to do here is shift to the other side because we've always we've been talking a lot about the victimhood right haven't we when We've been talking about the tree of life, the healing there. Um, healing. Uh, Billy's been doing a great job just talking about healing at the cross. When we surrender to the cross, there's this inner healing that happens through the forgiveness. And, and, um, but I'd like to go on the other side a little bit, and I'd like to talk about healing when we have been the perpetrator. Okay, Healing for the perpetrator. Now, I think, I don't know if, I mean, we look like a very nice group of people here. I don't think that there's really any really very bad people in this room except for maybe <laughs> the guy on my left I'm just joking <laughs> I'm just yeah he's the LC <laughs> but um, we, we, uh, we look at ourselves and we say, we say I can identify as the victim right how many of us can identify as the victim I, I know I can you know I like to be the victim because it's easier to be the victim than the perpetrator isn't it but when you look at the 
when you look at the Bible and you look at the men who wrote the Bible, the men, the authors of the New Testament and the Old Testament, you see a lot of guilty perpetrators. You see Moses, you see Paul, you see uh, some very bad actors that have actually gotten, that have been converted and that have become incredible people of God in the, in the work of God, in the kingdom of God. And so I just want to talk about this aspect of what it means to be healed when we have been the perpetrator. And all of us in this room, in some way or another, have been the perpetrator in some small or great way. Whether we realize it or not, uh, we have been in some way in a place where we've either hurt somebody, said something that we did not realize was going to hurt someone, or done something intentionally that really hurt someone. And so I don't want to make this a condemning message because it's not going to be that. But I want to just talk about how did Paul the Apostle deal with this? Now, let's look at Paul's life a little bit, okay? Do you guys remember the Apostle Paul, the man from Tarsus? His name was Saul, and he was in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, the al-Baghdadi, the Saddam Hussein, he was the Hitler. He was the bad, big bad guy of the New Testament. And when you said Saul of Tarsus' name to the early church, a shiver went through people's bones. They were afraid. They were, they were freaked out by this guy. And they, they were in uh, Christians, met in their homes privately, in secret. And, um, and, Saul, and Paul here writes, and I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3. And I want to just say this was Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 was his Christianity. This is the way he lived. But when we think about what God had rescued from him from, we ask the big question, how could he live this way with so much carnage in his life? Okay, And so let's look at this together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. King James says, I press on to, uh, not that I have already attained, but I press on that I would know him to the measure that he knows me. Because Christ has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Listen to this, but one thing I do. One thing. I love the one things in the Bible. We just get it so complex, don't we? We're like, here's the five-step process. This is the 12-step process. This is the 18 things that you need to do. Paul here says, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting, and that's a really cool word in the original language, what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I love that. Here's Paul's life. He's like, I'm forgetting those things that are behind me. I'm forgetting my past. And the, the word here is that he's actually using is neglecting. I'm just neglecting it. And I'm pressing for I'm leaning in. I'm pressing into the future that God has. And so how does he think this? Way? Well, let's look at Paul. Let's look at. I know some of us know this in this room, but I'd like to review um, Paul's or Saul's rap sheet. Can we do that? Okay. And Saul, I mean, Paul actually does it willingly. And he calls himself. He, he's talking to Timothy and he's nearing the end of his life. And he calls himself in present tense, the chief of sinners, okay? The chief. <laughs> I am the, I'm not, I'm the, I'm the bad guy. I'm the baddest guy. And so he says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. And you don't have to turn there, but just listen to me as I read these verses. Uh, this particular verse is in the Amplified. Uh, but Paul, shame, uh, Saul, shamefully treated and laid waste 
the church continuously with cruelty and violence. Now think about those words, cruelty and violence. And entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. Wow. I mean, we look at Paul as the writer of the New writer in the New Testament, and we forget what God had taken from. He went from house to house. Imagine in your community, someone going from house to house, next door and then next door, and pulling people out that name the name of Christ, and dragging them to prison where they're most likely going to die. And if they don't die, then they're going to be either killed or, or incarcerated in some way. He said, I persecuted in Acts 22, verses 4 and 5. Paul said this about himself. I persecuted this way, capital W. I persecuted this way to the death, to the death. This guy was a murderer. He killed people. He led people to their death and delivering into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from which, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, was this guy on a crusade or what? I mean, are we getting the, the, the volume here, the gravity of where he's coming from? He, was, he had this vehement hatred towards Christianity and towards Christ. And then it says here in the, in the next verse, uh, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, you have heard of my earlier career and former manner of life in a Jewish religion, and this is the amplified Judaism, how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with fanatical zeal did my best to make havoc of it and to destroy it. Wow. I mean, is this like, is this like a candidate that you would actually have God ask to be the CEO of your church or your organization? You know, like God loves to take, and sometimes we look at people that are so, that are so out there and we're just like, nah, and we look at other people that are really talented, maybe naturally, and seem to be good people, and we say, wow, they'd be really great in this church. God is looking for the Pauls. He's looking for the Moseses, the discouraged guy that's in the desert for 40 years, discouraged about his calling. And so this is Paul's route. He says, he says later um, to Timothy, he talks more about um, his, his career. And I think we get the point. So how does, Paul, how does Paul get over this? How does Paul overcome this? If you, if you can imagine, and this is something that we've mentioned before, but when Paul is converted and he becomes a follower of Christ, the very one that he was persecuting on the road to Damascus, he is going to families, he's going to geographical locations where people probably were impacted by his, his terror and maybe had even lost family members. And now he's a preacher of Christ in a synagogue. And now you and your family are going to listen to him. And the whole time he's thinking, I, I'm sure at night when he slept, he's probably seeing the faces of moms and kids and people that, you know, he was responsible for taking people out of their family. The guilt, the shame that must have been in Paul's life. I, we don't fathom that, but because we like to deify, we like to take, we like to take um, high profile names and really lift them up to the point where we don't think that they're even human anymore. So Paul was, he was, before he was saved, a bad actor. And so he's now speaking to these families, he's ministering to these families. And imagine going into, he's going into a village and he's preaching Christ and there's a family there. A mom and a little kid. And he discovers later on that he was responsible for the death of the dad. 
I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to imagine uh, what Paul was going through. I don't think we need to go very far because I think, I think if we look at our own life, if you have been in a place in your life where you, you have been in some way um, where we've done something wrong and we have been the perpetrator, I think that we look back at the time and I think that we could be so um, broken about it and we can be so, um, uh, we can live in so much regret and so much shame about it. But Paul here, he moves on. And how does he do this? And I want to talk about this. Um, the great thing that the gospel does is that it gives, makes us a new creation. We are a new creation in Christ. And maybe pre-Christ in your life, you haven't done anything really bad. Maybe, maybe just yesterday you lost your temper, or maybe you said something, or maybe, maybe there's something that we say or do that we are not even aware of that actually hurts and wounds people. And so Paul here, what's the process? What is Paul's process? And I want to just talk about three things tonight. Uh, Paul's background, the process that Paul was in, and then um, how Paul moved on, and what did that look like? So what's the process? How did, and I'm sure that, that Paul had pain. Like if you talk to a perpetrator, they have pain, and they are trying to deal with the pain. Um, does that sound like something that is familiar to you, or do you know that? Do you know that pain of like I can't believe I remember when that happened, and there's that pain. You try to forget it. Some people go to the bar. Some people take drugs. Some people switch out their mates, or they just do something crazy. They move to another country because they're looking to dull the pain because. We live in such a medicated society. Pain is actually such an adversary. Paul here had pain. I'm sure he had pain. You can see it in Romans chapter 7. He's struggling. He's struggling with internal things. Are you following me? Am I moving too quickly here? Yes? No? Okay. Paul here enters into a process. And it's not until later in his life that he talks about this process. And if we read the book of 1 Timothy and we read through it too quickly, we're going to miss it. First uh, Timothy chapter one verses thirteen through fifteen. Um, hey, would somebody like to read those verses? First Timothy chapter one verses thirteen through fifteen. Somebody have that ready? If you have it, just start reading it. First Timothy chapter one thirteen through fifteen. First Timothy one verses thirteen through fifteen. If you have it, just read it out. pretty weighty words. Paul here says three things, and this is Paul's process. Number one, he humbled himself. He just got very honest about mercy in his life. I think if we take a look at the mercy that God has shown us, um, the temptation is for us to live in self-condemnation, but never look in honesty at the mercy. And when we do that, we start living in shame. We talked about the shame cave a few weeks ago how we go into the shame cave and we hide out in there because we're just too ashamed to show our face. Paul here says he was just, he got very honest and he got very real with God. And he said, um, this is what I was, but I received mercy. And we know what mercy is, right? Mercy is 
receiving something is not receiving something that we deserve. Have you gotten something? Have you not gotten something that you deserved? Have you gotten pulled over by the police and he gives you a, uh, gives you a warning? Nobody in this room, right? I'm the only one, right? Okay. okay, so we get warnings. We get the mercy of God. And like, and I think the mercy of God for me is more of a scarier thing that, that humbles me the most because you realize what could have happened, right? And it didn't happen because God was merciful. And mercy is given with purpose. And the purpose and the power of mercy leads us to conversion. Okay, and that's Romans chapter 2. Uh, what I mean by that is this, is that someone says, well, grace, mercy, if that's all you talk about, people are going to live with a license to go and sin. Friends, we already have a license to sin. We have that. Nobody's going to give us a license to sin. We have that. We fail. We fall down. We have an old sin nature. And it doesn't make it okay. But Paul says, I got, he said, I got honest. I understood who I was. And I, I let God define it. I think that sometimes... And I don't want to dwell on this long, but I just want to make this point. Sometimes we may be the perpetrator and we don't even know it. And we have to get real, we have to get real small before God and just let God speak to us very deeply and, and say, Lord, search me and know me and show me if there be any wicked way in me. And then usually we answer that prayer ourselves. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> but it's like if we pray, we say, God, search me and know me and show me if there's any wicked way in me. God may show you that next week, or may God may show you that in the next hour. And when that happens, don't dwell there. Don't park there. Don't live there. Don't, don't put your car and park there um, because that's not where God wants us to park. God wants us to understand that that's no longer I. It's no longer I. Because Paul says in the next verse here, and this is the second thing, so the first step that got Paul in the process of out of the pain of what he had done to people and the memories and the self-condemnation was understanding the mercy of God, that like I could have gotten so much more that I did not get. And Paul just rejoiced in that, in that mercy, and it humbled him, and it brought him to a place of great honesty. Second thing is that in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He began to walk in grace. He began to walk in favor. I love that word, favor. Favor. Have you been ever favored over someone? Over, over someone else, the favor of God in your life, I sense it in my life. And it's not necessarily because of material blessings. I sense favor when I'm abjectly in need. I sense the favor of God. I don't understand why, but I sense favor, that God is pleased with us because of his son in us, and he's our righteousness. And so he walked in grace. He took a step in grace. Like Walking in grace means this. Lord, I know I don't deserve this, but I'm going to take a step in this direction into something that I know I don't deserve. And I'm going to look to you for that favor. Because I think that sometimes when we, when we have been the perpetrator, when we're the offender, and we have, and maybe not even no one knows about it, we look at something, we say, I don't deserve that. And we have told us that ourselves so many times that we no longer hear that voice, we just assume it. We walk into a situation, we just assume, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve any of these people. I don't deserve this marriage. I don't deserve this life. I don't, you know what I'm saying? And we get into self-sabotaging, right? And that's not the mind of God. He took steps in grace because it was exceeding abundant grace. I love that. Okay. Exceeding abundant grace widens our horizon, gives us a bigger picture than, than here's Paul. Like he's, 
he's like killing Christians and, met, and 24, 48 hours later, he is a man of God. <laughs> that's the grace of God. That's the favor of God. And, and, I, and I know a lot of you in this room and I know how much God has worked into your life and, and the stories in all of our lives, how, how there's just so much favor that we just sometimes are astounded at. And, and yeah. Yeah. I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, I guess saying like the words, right? Um, Jesus Christ Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So yes. just that mercy and that patience, you know. And Paul said this And Paul says in verse 15, he says, and I was given mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Yeah, right. I mean, you read that, right? Like, Paul, you did this ignorantly in unbelief. Like, you honestly can say that, that you actually ignorantly went into people's homes in an unbelief, dragged people out and killed them. I would say, Paul, you're, you're not telling me the truth. I would say you did that fully aware what you were doing, right? Right or not? Yeah, and he was doing this ignorantly in unbelief because, because when we are the perpetrator, when we are the, the offender, we honestly do not know the repercussions of what we're doing. We say things, we'll do something, we'll, we'll push back, we'll fight back, we'll bite back, and we don't honestly know how much that's going to injure somebody else. And so Paul here is saying, I did this ignorantly in an unbelief, and I received mercy. And then the third thing is that... Um, Paul walked in a present tense of understanding that he was, uh, that he was, um, that he understood that he was in the present tense, uh, the chief of sinners. Now, someone may say, well, how can he say that when Jesus forgave him all of his sins and washed him clean and he's no longer that Saul? Paul understood in the present tense that what he had done was something that was forgiven, that was he was cleansed from, but he understood the potential of, and he understood uh, how much of a fallen being he still was. And that made him so much more dependent on Jesus Christ to save him. And so this was Paul's way out. So I think that sometimes we're gonna, we'll live in condemnation about, oh, why did I do that? Um, maybe it's nothing really bad. Maybe we just, I don't know, you can put any kind of sin in that, in that blank there. And we're like, well, I wish, you know, I could live in regret. And by the way, regret is not true repentance. Regret is just an emotional reaction to, to a moral conscience. And that moral conscience doesn't lead us to spirituality. It just tells us what the law says, that I broke the law. And so Paul here is living in this pain. And I don't know, I don't know if there's people in this room that sometimes we, we look at our past and there's pain there. I mean, I'm sure there is. I mean, I do. And I'm sure that every one of us in this room... There are times we look back and there's, there's some pain there because of a mistake. But what do we do? How do we get out of that? And how do we take a step forward? Well, Paul moved on. And Paul is talking about, and this is the second thing I want to say this evening, 
And then I'm going to wrap it up. Paul here moves on. And how can we move on in our life and have the boldness and the clear conscience that, that, that Peter had when he preached in Acts chapter 2? Uh, he had denied Christ three times. And then 50 or so days later, he's preaching the first message to the brand new church in Acts chapter 2. He is preaching and he says to the Jews, he said, you crucified him. Paul, Peter was not such an innocent guy either. He was the one who, he denied Christ three times with some very choice words. How did Paul have that confidence? How do all the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, who if you read their stories, have a rap sheet, how did they have this how did they have this confidence to, to serve and to, to follow God? Well, Paul here says, I have, I have forgotten those things which are behind. But were they gone? No, Paul was not going to allow the emotion of his past. And get this, this is a main point here. Paul was not going to allow the emotions of his past to keep him from the future of his calling. He understood he failed, but he was not going to allow those emotions to keep him from experiencing what God had for him today with the church. I think that there are so many emotions that we can be experiencing. Um, There's so many things that could be going on in our life. There's a lady that is uh, a neighbor of ours um, right across the street from us. She came over and I remember meeting her husband um, actually two months ago. And I said, hey, how you doing? How's your husband? And she said, well, he's gone. He's, he's gone. He's left. And he's moved on, and she just began to tell me the story, heartbreaking story. And this is right in my neighborhood. And here is a person that you would not even imagine that they were struggling with this kind of a situation. And there's so much pain, and she, you could tell on her face that there was pain and suffering, that she was taking this personally, that she had done something wrong. There's this, there's this pain that the Lord wants us to move on from. And it's not, by the way, when we're counseling people, we can't, there's two extremes that, that we can't enter into when we're counseling people. Number one, we can't rush it on. We can't say, you know what, you just got to forget about it. You just got to forgive them and just move on. Um, there's a process there that needs to happen. The other extreme is, is that we put so much emphasis and we, put, we empower so much the experience that they begin to dwell in victimhood and they never begin to understand what victory is. And so what Jesus did was is he had compassion. He had compassion and empathy, but he did not empower the problem. He crucified it. He took it to the cross and nailed it to the cross and, re- and resolved the conversation there. So Paul here is now able to move on. And he's saying here, Paul is saying here, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. Now, what does that look like, forgetting? Can we truly forget what's actually happened? Can we truly forget? People say forgive and forget. And... and and I think a lot of times we applaud that. We say, yes, amen, brothers, amen, sister. But can we truly forget the sins of other people in our life and the, in our own sins in our life? And the answer is, I think, that we truly never, ever really forget because we always there's going to be that memory. But what was Paul talking about here, saying that I forget those things behind me, and then he says, I'm pressing on, I'm like pushing forward, I'm exerting energy, I'm leaning into the future that I have with God. And this is like, it just makes, it's just the greatest robbery, I think, in the world that we live in today is people don't discover who they are in Christ and the future and the today that waits for them with Christ. And so Paul here says, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, for, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. And Paul is using this word in the original language, which means I'm just neglecting it. I'm not giving it power. I'm not engaging in that conversation. Yeah, it's there. I remember that. I remember the pain. And I think that sometimes when we're by ourselves or we're in our car and we're just kind of in cruise control in our mind and we're not engaged uh, in thinking with God or meditating with in the Word, I think that we can start thinking thoughts that are just that we're just kind of unaware, and they just we're, we get down the road like ten minutes into the into the passive mindset, and we're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here in my mind, you know? And I'm, I'm you know, we're just negative, we're bitter, and we have this thing going on in our in our mind. Paul here says, I'm not entertaining that. It's there, yes, it is, but I'm not going to give any emotional energy. One thing that we're learning with my son, he's a three-year-old, he's turning three this week is that there are just some conversations that we don't engage with him. Because if we did, then it's just going to be a never-ending discussion with him. Like, like um, now he, he hasn't learned, I, he's learning the concept of time. And so, like, he says something to me, and I said, yes, yes, you know, just waits. Or he has, no, he has no concept of time yet. And so just this continual reminding him of, of um, that, you know, it's going to happen. And so Paul here is like, uh, he's in this place where he's neglecting it. And there's a point where we just have to say, you know, there's, there's nothing more I can say about that situation because that situation has already been resolved at the cross 2,000 years ago. And, you know, when you say that to somebody, they're going to say to you, you hypocrite. <laughs> we all know who you really are, right? Has anybody ever said that to you? I don't know. Have you ever had family members that know you after the flesh really well? So what we do with that, we, just, we don't engage in that conversation. We just, we, we neglect it, and then we just press forward into the future. And what, we, what actually begins to happen is we begin to possess the places that God has given us to possess. And I just want to finish with that, that, that um, when we do this, we begin, to, we begin to change the conversation that's inside of us. We begin to cast down those strongholds. That, that have such a grip on our emotions. Or, you know what, if you need, and this is what we need, we need the body of Christ. We need these times on Saturdays and on Sundays and during the week getting together with the body and just rehearsing the finished work, rehearsing who we are in Christ, reflecting to each other that you are not the Saul, but you are now the Paul. You are, you are a new creation in Christ and your name has been changed. You're no longer that false self. And when that pain and that shame comes in, we have to bring it, we have to drag it to the cross and say, here, talk to Jesus about this matter because I'm out of this conversation because I was in the conversation and I could not win in the conversation because I was losing to the power of sin. And so the point here that I want to make tonight is is that if you and I find ourselves to be the perpetrator in the matter, don't live in the pain. I think it's easy we, there's a lot of preaching and teaching about how to overcome circumstances that happen to you as the victim. And by the way, um, if you and I don't know, if we don't learn how to forgive the perpetrators in our life, guess who we become? We become that perpetrator. You know that? We, it's, it's the craziest thing. You, you start finding yourself talking like the person that did so much in your life to, to hurt you. So that's why we have to forgive and to neglect and press forward. Press forward. And sometimes in our conversations, um, let's be mindful of like, how far are we going into um, just conversations that 
really do not have any eternal merit. I love just taking every moment and exalting Christ. Because you know something? We never know where somebody's at. And if we can encourage them and reflect to them who they are in Jesus Christ, then we can be, um, we can be used by God to literally be an instrument of healing in somebody's life. Amen? So do we have any comments or do we have any questions or any, anything that here I've said this evening that um, is uh, maybe stirring something up?